from the creepy swamps deep in the heart of Cajun country, I welcome you to Fave Five from Fans, the podcast where I, Jamie Ray, your humble host, invite a friend of mine to create a list of five of their favorite things that we have a shared interest in, be it movies, books, TVs, toys, or really whatever. Next, we sit down to compare and contrast, dissect and disseminate our choices for you, the listening audience. We'll start off with honorable mentions, those selections that just didn't make the Fave Five, and then trade off our choices backwards from five, four, three, two, and finally number one. All that's left is for you to decide who's right, who's wrong, and will we still be friends after all this? You may be asking yourself, hey, who is this guy? Well, I'm a dad, a husband, a son, and a brother, among other things. I'm into Star Trek, Rom the Space Knight, zombies, and cheese, though not necessarily in that order. I'm an avid fan of movies, all kinds of movies, but I'm especially rabid about horror films. I'm also a longtime Trekkie, still going strong. As a Trekkie, I made some close friends, and we travel all around to Star Trek conventions. That made for a lot of windshield time, and a lot of what's-your-favorite conversations. I hope that this podcast can capture some of that fan fervor we had, but this time with a different guest and a different topic each episode. We'll be discussing everything from alien invasions to zombie attacks, from war movies to musical numbers, Edgar Allan Poe to Stephen King, both literary and adaptations. I can't wait to get started, so please sit back, strap in, and get ready for this episode of Fave Five from Fans. Hello there! Thanks for joining us today. This is Jamie, your humble host. And today I have for you a really great episode. A lot of times we sit back and we think about movies that are really important to us. And we realize what a a great big arc they may cover. We talk about the nine movies of the Star Wars fan. The 13 plus movies in Star Trek. But what about those movies that stand alone? that you only get the one time to live in that universe. And that's the movies that we've picked today. This is the Fave Five standalone sci-fi films. And to help me with this topic today, I've invited my Fave Five super friend, Super Gus. (laughs) Welcome, Gus. Thank you for having me, Jamie. You are very welcome. It's always my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Mm, that's very well. It's cold outside, isn't it? Very cold. Cold and windy. And wet. Yes. But let's just wait today. We'll probably be in shorts tomorrow. Exactly. That's my, the Louisiana weather for you. My heater and air conditioner has been running alternatively. They're like battling. No, exactly. I want heat. No, I want cold. <laughs> I'm waiting for it to break down. But yep. That's or just you know come home and it have pulled itself from its root and walked <laughs> off. <laughs> that's Louisiana for yes, you. It is. So as we've talked about, this is going to be what we are going to call our favorite standalone sci-fi films. Yes. What I did is I asked Gus to look at all the movies in the sci-fi realm that aren't part of a series, that don't have sequels, 
and that didn't come or go to something else like a television series. Now, I actually gave him a little bit of looseness on that one. So we may hear some interesting things that maybe showed up on TV. But I, being the host, was very strict and stringent. <laughs> and actually, it kind of bit me on the, the behind because one of my five, actually it was War of the Worlds until one of my other friends, Chuck, reminded me that there was a TV, TV series. Show, yeah. So I had to take that one off and uh, make some, some changes. <laughs> but um, anyway, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I think, Gus, if you are ready. I am ready. So as always, I offer Gus and all of my guests an honorable mention or two if they like and these are going to be choices that were really important to us but when we got down to it it could not be in the five or it was so bad that we had to make sure not to leave it out of the list gus what are your honorable mentions okay i have one okay and because it's so bad it's also <laughs> a guilty pleasure that's right because i think you know once i tell it to you you're gonna be like what Okay, I'm ready for it. Now, I have to say this first. You know, I'm a huge science fiction fan, such as yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a date with Angela Baker every, every Friday. Every Friday night. Well, you know, Angela, you know, that date usually lasts just an hour and a half. Right, right. So, I had a huge list. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I need to whittle this down. Right. So, I'm like, you know what? When I finish with Angela, who do I usually go to? And then that's when I realized... That's how I'm going to whittle down my list. Oh, good, good. So okay. basically, these these are the second dates that I have for the week. Ah, you've been cheating on Angela. Yes, I have. So my honorable mention slash guilty pleasure is 1979's The Black Hole. Oh, that's such a great <laughs> movie. Oh, my God. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. Where the here and now may be forever. An unavoidable hole moving through space, swallowing everything in its path. Now, man is about to enter the black hole. A journey that begins where everything ends. A research vessel finds a missing ship commanded by, by a mysterious scientist on the edge of a black hole. Yeah. Now, this movie, like I said, was released in 1979 on the heels of Star Wars. Hmm. Little now, movie I don't think we'll talk much about today. Unfortunately, but you know. <laughs> but having said that, some people seem to think that this movie was a grab by Disney to grab some of the... Star Wars audience. Mm. But this movie was actually started in 1974, 1976. Oh, okay. So, so it was before it really came out. Right. It really wasn't. I'm sure they thought about that when Star Wars came out. Right, right. But that's not how it actually started. It was actually riding on the heels of disaster films. See, I, I'm in the camp that doesn't feel that it's a Star Wars ripoff movie. Right. I'm, I'm with you because there's a, there's very few people, lots of cool effects, but they're all far away. <laughs> And it's not like Luke flying his X-Wing. I mean, right. it's like the ship. It's hovering outside of the, the black hole and not going in and not coming out. Right, the Cygnus. The Cygnus, that's right. right. Now, I don't remember a lot of these actors. The one I know most, or the two I know most, is Anthony Perkins mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and Ernest Borgnine. Right. 
Now, I was young when I first saw this, mm-hmm. and... Don't do the math. I won't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I fell in love with this movie. Yeah. It was funny is that it was not meant for children. In fact, this was Disney's first PG-rated movie. I did not know that. And as a child, I realized it appears childish. Mm-hmm. Not, it does not, I don't mean it like that. It appears like it was made for a young adult okay. or a young child. But no, they meant for it to be dark and serious and whatnot. As you could tell, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> Especially since the science in this is so loose. Yeah. Alan Dean Foster, who you know does I, a lot of novelizations. I do. He actually told the board, look, you know, here's some suggestions to fix your science because it's that bad. That bad, yeah. <laughs> and they, the Disney executives actually had a meeting when, and they were like, oh man, you know, what are we going to do? But evidently, they didn't take all of his suggestions, you know, and use them. Yeah. The first, <laughs> you could tell by the Indiana-esque movie s- sequence where there is a giant asteroid rolling down the <laughs> corridor of the Cygnus, uh, Cygnus. Right. And they're running across this catwalk to get to the other side. In space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. I mean, the ship would have instantly disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just it was just stuff like that. Right. But, you know, the young the, the young me loved, loved this movie. It. Ate it up, I'm I sure. I did. I remember, I actually had, remember when they had the paper models? Yes. That you just cut out, punched out, and then just put together? I actually had one from this movie, and I had my own Cygnus. Wow, that's cool. Did you, like, get little rocks from inside, uh, from outside, and push it down the corridor? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) But that is my honorable mention, Guilty Pleasure. That's a great one. So we do have to mention that also stores Robert Forster, who made his comeback later on in Jackie Brown, and then went on to a couple more films. He was the commander. Yes, but I didn't realize he had Mm -hmm. made a comeback. Yeah, that was him. He, He actually... Quentin Tarantino, kind of from my understanding, went out and said, man, I really liked him and some other stuff. <laughs> Put him in that role of Max Cherry, I believe, uh-huh. as the bail bondsman. And uh, that kind of he exploded and then started doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. So, well, that's great. I, uh, the Black Hole. I love that. Uh, and you can see it now on Disney Plus because I've started watching it there and <laughs> haven't finished it. Though I do have the Betamax tape of uh, Black Hole. So you can come over one day and we'll pop it in the Betamax and watch it. I have the DVD. Yeah, that's the (laughs) DVD. It's too clear. (laughs) So I have two honorable mentions. Okay. My first honorable mention is probably one of the, not the earliest, but one of the earliest science fiction films of all time. Fritz Lang's 1926 Metropolis. Yes. But I have to be specific. You know me. I actually prefer the 1984 Giorgio Moroder version where they took it and hued it with different colors, added some sounds like sound effects of the water gushing or whatnot, and then had a, uh, an actual uh, soundtrack made, including songs from Freddie Mercury and my favorite, Pat Benatar, <laughs> and even um, uh, instrumental music for it. So he takes that film, which I believe that cut of it is about an hour and 20 minutes, maybe, you know, a little bit more, and lays this track down over it. And it, to me, it was it's, it's just the perfect little film. I mean, I know that it's, it's a silent movie in that you have to sit there and read all the dialogue. But I tell you how much I love this film is I actually had the cassette 
back in 84. And I literally wore it out. It, I remember it broke <laughs> on me one day. And I did end up getting it on CD. Okay. And, but I still love, especially that Pat Benatar song, Here's Your Heart. I, think. I have to admit something. Go ahead. Throw it out. I've never seen either version. Wow. <laughs> Actually, the people, so I've been talking with a lot of people, they either have not, never seen it or some of them just don't understand or care about it. I know vaguely what it's about. Yeah. But it's just... I don't know. I, I just never got a chance to see either one. So I do suggest you can go out on YouTube and search for Metropolis 1984, mm-hmm. and you can watch it for free. It's a beautiful copy, and uh, it has the soundtrack. So, so basically, it's a it's a story about the haves and the have-nots. Right. And so those influential people live up above ground. And one of those influential guys, his name is um, Freighter. Um, he discovers that under the city, it's just a grim, almost dystopic area where all the people literally give their lives to keep the city running. And he befriends a very sweet teacher named Maria, and that puts him kind of at odds with his father. And then things start to grow. And then, of course, everyone's always seen the iconic robot. Right. There's a guy who makes a robot so that he can overthrow the halves and he ends up making it in Maria's image. So she goes down and brings the, the, the workers in a revolt and then kind of, I don't want to say disappears, but kind of leaves. And then the real Maria, who's been being held, shows up and everybody thinks she's the one who's done it. <laughs> it's a really great film. And I for, forgot at one point that, that Frater ends up having um, like a, uh, a fever-induced hallucination and there are these images of death playing a fiddle with a like a femur bone and it's it's it, and another one he's like has a sickle and it's really a freaky movie so i would tell you one day just to sit it to turn it on you don't have to sit there intently because i just told you pretty much the movie <laughs> but um it's a really cool watch and especially that 80s music it, it's very distinct okay that's it, Metropolis from 1926, which actually takes place in 2026. So in six years from now, we're going to have to have a big rewatch party for the 100th anniversary. <laughs> and um, we're not all living down or hopefully we'll be in the clouds. Hopefully we're the haves. <laughs> <laughs> so my other honorable mention was one that I really wanted to get on this list. But this list was so hard that I knew I had to put this one using a little fuzzy math to put it at number six. <laughs> It's 1979's Time After Time. The time is 1893, and novelist and inventor H.G. Wells makes a startling announcement. Gentlemen, I am talking about traveling through time in a machine constructed for that very purpose. The first to use the machine, however, is Dr. John Leslie Stevenson, better known to history as Jack the Ripper. And what was to be a voyage of discovery in an instant becomes a manhunt through time from 19th century England to 20th century San Francisco. I vaguely remember that movie. Yes, I love this film. It's the story of H.G. Wells, who in reality has built a time machine and plans to use it to to, to go to the utopian paradise of the future. One of his quote-unquote gentleman friends, who they all come and smoke cigars and whatnot, is actually a doctor, Jack the Ripper. And 
Jack is all of a sudden the he you know he ends up having killed another woman and right. the police show up and so he uses the time machine to go forward in time to the far future 1979 <laughs> and so far ahead yes yeah, so far ahead so when Dr. Wells who's played by Malcolm McDowell figures out that his friend Jack who's played by David Warner both Star Trek alums now mm-hmm. he decides that it's his duty to go forward in time and capture Jack and bring him back. Right. So he uses the machine to do it, and while trying to figure out where Jack is, he runs into a a bank teller named uh, Amy, who's played by uh, Mary Steenburgen. And she's actually the one who has traded some of Jack's uh, gold for money, too. And so the pursuit ensues, and of course he can't tell them that he's from the past, you know, so it's... But it's a really great movie. It's very taut at some parts. In the rewatch, it was... It was dated, obviously, because it's from 79. <laughs> but the fact that he's from the 1800s going forward to the 1979s still makes it very watchable. Right. So I really uh, really enjoyed it. And another Star Trek thread is that it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who directed the best Star Trek movie of all times, Wrath of Khan. Oh. Yes. So <laughs> you've got two guys, two major guys from Star Trek The Next Generation and from Star Trek VI, and you've got the director from Star Trek II. So, you know, my little nerd brain is just so (laughs) excited. (laughs) Those are my honorable mentions, so that means it is time to get to the heavy stuff. Yes. Gus, lay out your number five favorite standalone sci-fi film. Okay. My number five is 1965's Planet of the Vampires. Oh, Mario Bava. Mm-hmm. Excellent choice. In a 40G gravity atmosphere, strange thing happens to man's body and mind. Barry Sullivan and Norma Bengel take you into the most fantastic science fiction adventure ever filmed. Emergency! Emergency! fix on this right now. Wes, Brad, controls. Planet of the Vampires. Harboring a form of life worse than death. Planet of the Bloodless. Creatures who take men's bodies but attack like vampires. After landing on a mysterious planet, a team of astronauts begin to turn on each other, swayed by the uncertain influence of the planet and its strange inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Who all wear leather suits. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the first thing I noticed right? about this movie. I was like, wow, they must be really hot. Yes. <laughs> and some of them were pretty hot, too. Oh. Wow, wow. You know, it's an Italian movie. Right. It was based on the short novel A Note de 21 Orc. Mm. One Night of 21 Hours by huh. uh, the sci-fi writer Renato Pestriano. I'm yes. oh, sorry, I massacred that. That but. is exactly how you say it, Gus. <laughs> now, when I first saw it, I actually saw it fairly recently. It was, oh, okay. It was like five years ago. And the first thing I noticed were the uniforms. Right. Because those were some sick uniforms. Yes, they were. <laughs> and then... It, it just grabbed me from the beginning, uh-huh. and you know, going through it, watching it, it's like, wow, this is this is actually pretty good. It is. It you is. You know, the the two ships, two sister ships, they were pulled toward a planet. Everyone's blacked out except for the captain, 
who guides his ship down to the planet. Right, convenient. Right. He actually lands, and then his the other uh, crew begin to wake up. But when they do, they're in a murderous rage. Exactly, right? <laughs> That's how so, I feel on some Mondays. Exactly. So, you know, everybody's trying to kill each other, and the captain, being the captain, he's like, I'm going to take charge, and he, he goes around, like, knocking everybody out. Right. Not literally, but, you know. Yeah. Um, then it, they come to their senses. So they're like, what's going on? What's going on? So, you know, the sister ship is some ways away. They finally find it. They go investigate, realize that they're all dead. Oh, no. Well, it turns out they're not all dead because there are survivors. But are they survivors? Exactly. Mm. You know, they're acting very strangely. Well, they realize the ship can't take off, so they're trying to fix that. Um, They do come across a mysterious ship, and this is what really caught my attention. What struck me about this is that this scene uh, reminded me of the Astro Navigator from Alien. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, literally, the size of the alien, the sort of the layout, Uh and that's when I thought, like, you know, this movie does sort of remind me of Alien. Wow, okay. I never made that connection. It was really sort of there. Right, right. It just evoked images. Right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So anyway, the director of Alien mm-hmm. never said they never seen this, this movie. But the question is, has H.R. Geiger seen the movie? He never did, but I think it was it was Obana who actually saw pieces of ah, it. Ah, okay, okay. Because they cite, well, most fans cite three movies that influenced Alien. Okay. And Planet of the Vampires, and unfortunately, I forget the other two. Oh, okay. But in a way, you could kind of see it. Right. But funny fact about this is that, you know, it was an Italian movie. It was shot in Italy. Mm-hmm. They had an American actor, Portuguese, um, Italian, Spanish. Yeah. When they're actually filming this movie, they are all speaking their native language. That is uh, something that I've seen a lot because I love Baba's horror films. And I've seen a lot of them. And he has American and Italians. And I remember seeing an interview once where the American actor was saying, yeah, I know what she's saying, but she's <laughs> saying it in Italian. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to imagine what that was like. Yeah, you know, that just, must have been tough. Exactly. But, you know, they nailed it because the interactions, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say actors then knew how to act. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but you they nailed did. it. I mean, yeah. I would have never guessed that they were all speaking different languages uh-huh. and that it was just dubbed I'd later. love to see an undubbed version of that. That would be cool. That would be so cool. Yeah. But that that is my number five pick. That is an excellent choice, guys. Excellent oh, choice. Let me back up. Okay. Suffice to say, they escape, but it turns out the two people who do escape are actually possessed by aliens. Oh, don't you hate when that happens? Yes, and they are headed for Earth now. Mm-hmm. But being that it's a standalone... We never know what happens. Exactly. That's a great one. I really enjoy that. Uh, I've got to go back and watch because I've only seen it once. So (laughs) we'll see what it's like. Mm. All right. So that leads me to my number five. And this is actually a movie that we've recently talked about. But again, as a standalone movie, it really, really stood out to me. It's a movie about food and about the lack of food and about... Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about 1973's Silent Green. I love that movie. I do too. What is the secret of Silent Green? What 
secret is the secret of Soylent Green. Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Chuck Connors, Lee Taylor Young, Brock Peters, Paula Kelly, and Joseph Cotton fight for survival and try to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. The search for the secret of Soylent Green. You will find out why Soylent Green means life. You will find out why Soylent Green means death. We've got to stop him! What is the secret of Soylent Green? Please! This time, as you remember, fans out there who may have listened to previous episodes, this made my fave food related. Yes. I love this movie for a different reason from the food. It's it's really one of the first films that I remember watching, not even knowing what dystopic meant. Right. To see all of these people living in squalor mm-hmm. and just fighting to survive and fighting for food and then the scoops coming and smashing people and seeing Charlton Heston as a figure of a police officer who is just like everyone else that's down there. He hasn't tasted strawberries in years, yeah. you know? And it just, it really has always stuck with me. I thought it was a very solid film. Uh, the screenplay was based on a 1966 novel, Make Room, Make Room, by uh, Harry Harrison. Yes. If you don't know that Soylent Green is people, I'm sorry, but we're going to go ahead and tell you. I always thought it was interesting. We didn't talk about this before, but the fact that in the book, it was Soylent Steaks, not Soylent Green food chips. You know, I've read the book and I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't. I've never read it, but the book never calls it Soylent Green from what it's what I read. And it says the title wasn't used because there was a, a movie coming out that was called Make Room for Daddy. Uh-huh. And so they didn't want to. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Even though it was like a comedy, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Again, I, I I love this film not just because of the story, but because of so many of the actors. Charlton Heston, yeah, playing the detective Thorn. Chuck Connors is the bad guy. Yeah. Tab. Um, <laughs> Joseph Cotton as Simonson, the guy at the very beginning who was murdered. Yeah. Joseph Cotton, I I love. Brock Peters, another Star Trek. He plays Hatcher, the boss. Um, and, of course, Edward G. Robinson. A Saul, excuse me. So, I love it. And I think it was a great, great movie for a young me to have seen. <laughs> I know it's cemented it. One thing I found that was very interesting is that a, a custom cabinet of an arcade game called Computer Space was used in the movie. They did a mock-up of it. And it's actually considered to be the first video game appearance ever in a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, so next time I watch that, I'm going to have to look for it. So, Soil and Green, my number five. Gus, what's your number four? My number four. Oh, I love this movie. 1999's Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. I love this movie. Ding, 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 ding. We have a match. Oh, good. The far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. 
what they got. Never give up and never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. The alumni cast of a space opera television series have to play their roles as the real thing when an alien race needs their help. However, they also have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a reptilian warlord. Yes. And uh, such a stellar cast. It, it, it really was. Oh, my God. You know, we have Tim Allen, mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver, right. Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell. And it was also the first movie theatrical for Justin Long. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, Missy Pyle is in it as well. Rain Wilson. He's in it. It was also his um, movie debut. Was it? Yes. And then one of my personal favorites, uh, Enrico Colinotti. Colinotti. I know who you're talking about, but I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. He was in, um, I think it was called Just Shoot Me. It was a TV comedy about a uh, fashion magazine, and he played a photographer. I, I really, I really love. That's a great film. That is actually my number one film. <laughs> it is. And I don't want to step on you, but it is the perfect Star Trek movie. <laughs> Honestly, it is. It's the best Star Trek movie of all time. Because you know, you know, the original cast of Star Trek have to be thinking: Did somebody make a, a autobiography of our lives? <laughs> it's such a great film. It has so many homages it and does. nods. It does. But also, if you don't know that much about Star Trek, you can watch it and go, oh, okay, I guess I understand (laughs) that. And then when the aliens, who have been watching episodes of the 70s show, it basically solves their civil war, I believe, and their planet (laughs) is then based upon it, you know? It's just just the best little movie. The aliens actually think it's all real. Right, exactly. It it helps them to to build, and then they build all the things, including the... The ship, you know, an awesome ship. And that's the great thing, too, is the tech, the uniforms, the ships, (laughs) the rock monster. Yes, the pig. Oh, all of it. They're all just so dead on. And those actors, they they seamlessly change. Yes, they they capture the essence of their roles. Because basically they were playing somebody, playing somebody who had a role in a TV show. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, Sigourney Weaver is probably my favorite in that show. She is, she's mine too. Yeah. She, I just there's something about Sigourney Weaver. Ever since I saw her in Alien, uh-huh. she's to me she is the queen of science fiction. She is. She is the first final girl. Yes, you know the the, the, she, the best. She's a formidable actress. She is. She especially is. the, the roles she chooses, mm-hmm. especially especially in the sci-fi right. fandom. Now, of course, this is a comedy. Yes. And I, I heard she she says something is that whenever she put on that blonde wig, uh-huh. she just felt her IQ getting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but she was really great. And I love the fact that her entire duty on board the the bridge was to repeat what the captain said so the computer would do it. Yes. She was the only one who could understand the computer. Right. Who the The computer computer would understand. understand. Exactly. That was great. There was a great scene. You know, she's repeating what the computer's saying. And um, Tommy was like, that's really aggravating. It's like, this is my (laughs) only job on the ship. Let me do it. That's right. I love that scene. Oh, I think there's a lot of good scenes, like there with are. the Chompers, when yes. her and Tim Allen's character. Why do they even have this on the ship? <laughs> Screw that! But we all know that in the original cut, mm-hmm. she drops the f bomb. Yes. <laughs> Because this movie was actually supposed to be a lot darker than it was. Um, one scene that the um, higher-ups told them to cut were when the ship lands. Right. At the very at end. At the convention. The ship was actually supposed to decapitate <laughs> several oh people God. in the pool. And there was some other like really violent stuff that they basically took out and retooled. Yeah, that would have really changed the mood of the film, yes. to be honest. But um, you know, what really got me, what really epitom- epitomizes this movie for me mm-hmm. is... Alan Rickman. Yes. And there's one particular scene I'm talking about Mm -hmm. where they are at a store opening. (laughs) And you know, they all have their lines. And then it's Alexander Dane's turn Mm -hmm. who played Dr. Lazarus. And Tawny, Sigourney Weaver, has to like nudge him. He's like, (laughs) to the line. (laughs) My grab Thor's hammer. (laughs) I will avenge you. What a savings. (laughs) Oh my God. The look on his face is a pure disgust. He has had it with this line. Uh, I know. He never wants to repeat it again. He has done Shakespeare. <laughs> but he is forced to repeat this line over and over. Who does that remind you of? <laughs> but oh, all, great choice. All in all, it's a great film. It is. It's my number one film. I have to say, it's the epitome of science fiction for me. For me, it it was it wasn't higher than this because of the comedic factor. See, I would thought you would say that it wasn't higher because of the science. Oh no, I love the science. Yeah, see, I love the comedy of it because I thought they integrated it so seamlessly. They did, especially like the first time that Tim Allen's character is beamed up. (laughs) Oh my god. And then afterwards, he, he when other people are beaming up and get they're throwing up and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> but the thing is, it, there's very little science fiction comedy out there. Yeah, it's, it's a mean, hard. You know, Spaceballs, a oh, great one. That one. Ice Pirates with and, Robert Ure. Yeah, I know. I know. For me, my favorite one outside of this is Red Dwarf. Yeah. I love that series. Yeah, that is a great series. So I do have to say the the one thing about this, they actually did a comic book series after yes, this. Yes, I, I, actually they did two. Yes, right, right. Two four-issue series or, yeah. Um, I think the first one was five. Um, I'm not sure about the second one. Yeah, yeah, I have both of them at home. Oh, really? Yeah, they're great stories. I'll let you read them if you like. Yes, I'd love oh, that. For sure, for sure, no <laughs> problem. Well, great. Well, then I guess that means you're going to want to know what my number four is. Yes. And my number four is classic retelling of the movie High Noon, but in space. Oh. Talking about 1981's Outland (laughs) with Sean Connery, Francis Sternhagen, and Peter Boyle. (laughs) In a mining town on the second moon of Jupiter. Something deadly is happening. I got nothing more on that. 
incident in the mine yesterday. It looks like some guy just went wacko. It happens here. I won't. I don't know. It just happens here. Why? I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't tell you why. Some people just can't take it here after a while. What's that guy think he's doing? No way it could have been homicide. It had to have been a suicide. So it's, it's got a great burn because you got Sean Connery. He plays a, a federal marshal on Io, a moon of Jupiter. And he's brand new there. He's only been there like two weeks. And so basically it's a mining community. Con Am 27, because you see the number 27 everywhere in this film. <laughs> and the general manager is played by Peter Boyle. And Peter Boyle is not a great upstanding guy. The movie opens up with a miner who starts freaking out and thinking he has spiders inside of his suit while he's out outside of the environment. Right. Ends up ripping it open and he <laughs> <laughs> blows up inside the suit. <laughs> and then and another guy walks out the airlock onto the elevator and goes down with no suit on. So something's going on. And every time somebody dies, all of a sudden the bodies are taken and shot out. So he goes to see the local company doctor, Dr. Lazarus, which I thought was a great name, <laughs> played by Frances Sternhagen. And Frances is great in this role. She is, she is the Dr. McCoy of this movie. She's grizzled. She's tired. But he's having none of her crap. So he comes to her and says, something's going on. I want to know about how many deaths there have been in the last six months. Mm -hmm. And he come, she comes back. There's been 24. And he's like, holy crap. She goes, you know what? There's been 28 before that. What? Because you know how many were in the year before that? Two. And so Sean Connery, being the, the apt marshal that he is, figures out what's going on and does his part to stop the flow of what they find out is a drug. Polydichloricophobia. It's basically an amphetamine that makes them work harder, mm -hmm. but then if you use it too often, it causes you to go psychotic. Mm. And Peter Boyle is bringing it in so that the numbers are, are up and everybody's making money. And he and basically... It's always about, about it's, money. It's always about the money. <laughs> it's always about the money. And so he has to decide if he's going to make a stand or not. Right. And he does... Basically, the high noon aspect of it is, is he's he's caught a guy, and that guy has evidence on the big Peter Boyle character, right. Shepard, and they kill that guy, and then Shepard brings in two hired goons, and so nobody wants to help the marshal. I mean, <laughs> nobody. Not. Yeah, exactly. So it's up to him to do it, and uh, he's very creative in the way that he does it. I really, uh, I actually just watched it again last night mm -hmm. to refresh my memory about it. It is so awesome. As a matter of fact, so there's this great scene in the uh, where they have this fight scene in the kitchen, and the bad guy throws it into boiling water, and he's got to reach in and grab it and stuff. So it's kind of cool because the rest of his movie, you can tell when he's when he's done. But there's a, a bunch of great lines, and I love the fact that the way that he uses engineering as a weapon. <laughs> When these guys show up, he like sets up some some booby trap. Then, of course, at the end of the movie, you've got the greenhouse of death. 
Well, you know, I vaguely remember this movie. Uh-huh. Now, I've seen a lot of science fiction over the years. Right. But this one, I vaguely remember it, so I can't really say too much about it. Well, it was directed by Peter Himes, who also directed uh, Phantom Dark Dave's favorite movie. No, not really, but one of his favorites, <laughs> Capricorn One. Yeah, with O.J. Simpson and Sam Watterson. Oh, it sounds so familiar. It's where they fake the Mars landing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a really interesting director. He does a lot of cool stuff. There's so many things about this movie that are great. Everyone in this movie smokes. I mean, they're smoking <laughs> everywhere. And I noticed, too, their use of colors are really great because they'll have workers of one certain kind. They're all in red and then another's in yellow and then the cops are all in blue. And so it was really cool the way that they did that. But uh, anyway, that's my number four, uh, Outland, uh, 1981. So let's see, five, four. That means number three. What's your number three, Gus? My number three is 1953's version of War of the Worlds. Mm. A small town in California is attacked by Martians, beginning a worldwide invasion. Uh huh. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're going to come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. This guy can need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant! Look! The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Guns, tanks, bombs! They're like toys against them! We know now that we can't beat their machines to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies whom no one has ever seen. Panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria. I love this movie. Yes, it is a great film. As we spoke earlier, I had to take it off my list. <laughs> but you are allowed. Oh, well, as you know, it's based on the H.G. Wells' The War of the World, which was released in 1897. Right. So the movie itself is different from the book. Yes. Because it... it you know, the book takes place in the 19th century. Right, right. Basically, they're using horse-drawn horse carriages to get around. Right. I mean, H.G. Wells is was English. Yes, it? I believe it yes. was. Okay. Yeah, but, that was before you used the time machine to go forward in 1979. <laughs> what I like best about this movie is that literally there's no defense against these right. Martian invaders. Right. Like, everything they throw at them is basically just shrugged off mm-hmm. between the heat ray, which I have to admit, when that heat ray, at the beginning of the movie, where the heat ray first is uh-huh. first used, uh-huh. that was awesome. That sound is yes, just something I else. I love that sound and, effect. And then you could see their skeletons yes. before they disappear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm with you. That's a great one. It is. I love this movie to death. Now, I don't know how true this is. I'm sure you've heard that the radio presentation of it caused a panic amongst the people. Now, news articles have come back and said, that's not really true. There were some people who were kind of nervous, but there was no great panic. Right. Like the newspaper portrayed. It was. That's how I want to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Best thing about this is I like the fact that it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. Ah, it I was can selected see that. in 2011. It's such a beautiful film, and their use oh, yeah. of colors in this movie is it's just phenomenal. You know, and you don't see the alien until the very end of the movie. Right. You know, I mean, it's great. They really held on to it and kept the surprise. And I, I love the interaction between Gene Barry's Dr. Clayton Forrester and uh, Anne Robinson's Sylvia Van Buren. Mm-hmm. So you notice the name when you're, I guess you were, when you were rewatching it, Dr. Clayton Forrester. Does that name ring a bell? Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's Dr. Forrester. Yes, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vaguely, but once again, I have to admit something. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen this movie from that oh, series. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. We have you got know, to rectify that. It was out when I was in high school, mm-hmm. but it was just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it because you're talking during the movie. Right. <laughs> yes, it's, what you're saying is funny, but you're ruining the movie for me. <laughs> it's like going to the movies today and just having somebody do a running commentary, which just drives me crazy. Well, you're supposed to know before you get there. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway, I just thought, always thought that was cool that they used that name. Yeah, but no, it's, it's a really great movie. It is. I, I will agree with you. Like I said, it was on my list till I remembered. <laughs> so, But you are allowed to have that as your number three. So, my number three is also a movie from the 50s. But I'm going even a little further back to 1951, oh. where we'll remember the day the earth stood still. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Okay. I have to admit, for you any further. If you tell me you haven't seen this movie, podcast is over. <laughs> no, I have seen the movie. It, it it fluctuated up and down my list. Oh, okay. It did. Okay. It did. It fluctuated up and down, but eventually it, it didn't make my list. But right. great choice. Thank you. Thank you. This was actually my father's favorite movie. Really? As a matter of fact, uh, if you go to my DVD case now, you'll see that I have two copies of it. Mm-hmm. Because I remember I bought it for him one year for Christmas and I'll, <laughs> I enjoyed all the features <laughs> and watching the movie. I went back and got so I have the same copy twice sitting on my... <laughs> but it's such a classic movie. It's really one of the first scary science fiction films I remember seeing. And it wasn't scary because of jumps. I mean, it was really the atmosphere that they used to build it. And even for a young kid, I can remember thinking, oh, you know, these guys could wipe us out and we could do nothing. Mm Kind of like against the aliens Mm -hmm. in the War of the Worlds. So I think it was just really good. And of course, this movie was so important to pop culture going forward. You know, because you've got the Evil Dead uh, connection where he's Mm -hmm. trying to say Katu Barada Nikto (laughs) screws it up. 
Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Return of the Jedi connection, where three of Jabba the Hutt's minions that are on the skiff, uh-huh. one of them's Klaatu, one of them's Karata, <laughs> one of them's Niktu. I never realized yes, that. Yes, it is. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, wow. What a cool so, fact. It is cool, you know? And um, there's a lot of little things, you know, throughout the movie that you'll see in other films. Yes, I Of course, that. you've got Gort. You know, who is just such an awesome robot. <laughs> uh, Michael Rennie is Klaatu, which was just, I mean, he, he was so slick and so cool. And he gave you this, you could see that he was an alien, right. but pulled it off. And then, of course, Patricia Neal, who's one of my favorites of all time. And then you've got, again, Sam Jaffe, who we just talked about being in Soil and Green. And then, of course, Francis Bouvier, Bouvier uh, Aunt B from, <laughs> from uh, the, yeah, from the Andy Griffith Aunt Show. B. Yep, she's Mrs. Barley, the the, oh, I think wow. the the woman who runs the, the boarding, boarding house. house. So it's a great film. It's amazing the way that they're able to so effectively build a sense of urgency yeah. in the movie, especially when he's wounded. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, if he dies, Gort's going to just go to town, <laughs> you know? And he, he puts off a really good feel of, like, I can't die because I have to save you, the people of Earth. You know, there's a story behind that whole situation. Oh, please tell. Evidently, that director was oh. trying to make an allegory towards Jesus. Oh, I could see that. So, you know, the director, another Star Trek connection, Bob Weiss. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, he thought he was being really subtle. Uh huh. But the uh, the movie company was like, "Yeah, we see what you're doing." No. <laughs> Where he dies, actually yeah. dies, and Gort brings him back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Originally, he was supposed to just be better. Oh. But when the um, when they realized what he the director was trying to do, it's like, no, no. Which is why they changed the line to nobody has that power except for the d- divine creator. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Do you know, what, what was his name in the movie? Uh, Klaatu. No. A Gort? His alias, while he was roaming around. Oh, you got me there, I can't remember. The initials, I could tell you this, were JC. Oh, wow, that's clever. He came to save the people of Earth. Yes, he did. He actually died. Right. He was, like I said, it's supposed Brought to be an allegory. That's really cool. I never have heard that before. <laughs> no, wow. that's what people are saying. They could just totally be coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we can ask Bob Weiss, right? <laughs> but no, it, that's a great choice. And like I said, it it went up and down my list. Yes, it's a great one. So ultimately it fell off, I guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so that means, <laughs> Gus, that you have a number two yes. that you can lay on us. Yes. Very interested to know what this one is. Well, actually, it came from the same year. Oh. 1951's uh-huh. The Thing from Another World. Oh, see? Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us is one pole from the other. If we can only communicate with it. See? What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olsen scream. Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light switch. 1.9. Needles hit the top.
couldn't use that one, but it's so good. Why? Well, because... There was never a series. There, th- that's true. That's the true. Thing is a remake of it, it. It is. But the reason I couldn't put it on there is because I have The Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm-hmm. I have my number two movie, which is also from the 1950s. Right. And I absolutely love The Thing by John Carpenter. <laughs> so I had to actually sit down and convince myself not to put it on this list <laughs> because I love it so much. Right. But I I just, I didn't want to have three movies from 1951. I had no problem with that. <laughs> no, it was a golden <laughs> age of science fiction. It was. Honestly, it, it was. It was. It was. But... Uh, with my number three and then what my number two was going to be, mm-hmm. um, I just said, you know, and in my, my head, I think I kind of convinced myself that it was really more of a science fiction horror film than it was a pure science fiction. I, I could see that. Yeah. So I convinced myself not to not to use it. But wow. excellent choice. Howard Hawks at his best. Oh, it's just, you know, for me, one of my things in my some of the movies I like uh, is the fact that they're cut off. Mm-hmm. Right. Total isolation. Because yes. they are in the Antarctic. That's right. You know, there's no one to come save. And there's something. And there's nowhere to go. Exactly. And there's something about that. When you realize that the only person you can depend on is yourself and the right. people, the immediate people around you, yeah. that there's not going to be a cavalry to come save you, it just it just adds to the suspense. It does. It does. Now you know who the thing was. James Arness. Yes. Yes. From Gunsmoke. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. As I, a, he was a stunt man. Yes. And this was one of the first role, roles that he did. You realize he was really embarrassed about it. He was so embarrassed about it that he did not even go to the premiere. I of did the movie. not know that. What? What's wrong <laughs> with a big flaming carrot? You know. Come on. <laughs> <sighs> but you know, this is another classic that was also deemed culturally significant, mm-hmm. and was also selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. As fact, well it should be. Yes, it was done in, um, inducted in 2001. Oh, as, yeah. you know, it's got one of the best closings of almost any mm. movie I've ever seen where Scotty is giving yes. his report. Now, I have to say something about that. Uh-huh. You have a newspaper man looking for a story at a military installation. <laughs> exactly. This could only have been in the 50s. Because yeah. yeah. if yeah. this was now, he would be branded a traitor. Right. Shipped off somewhere and then just killed right then and there. Exactly. You know what I mean? There were some things about this. I'm like, wow, they're just letting him run all over the place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I loved about the film, too, is the way that Hawks allowed his actors to talk over each other. Uh Before then, you really didn't see much of that. It was, I'm going to tell you something and you're going to tell me something. Mm -hmm. And I also really enjoyed Patricia Neal. You know, the right. what was her name? The, um, you know, Nikki. Nikki. Nikki I love the way that she and the captain interacted. Yes, they had great interaction. They had great comedy. Now, you realize that was the, she was also in The Day the Earth Stood Still in, in, yeah. in 51. So she yeah. was on fire at that time. <laughs> but the whole, when it was just those two, and she had him tied up. Tied up. I know. I'm, I he, love that scene because, you know, he's he, you see he's not tied up. It's uh-huh. like, how long have you been free? <laughs> it's just their interaction was yes, so it's good. wonderful. Yes. It was wonderful. Such a good movie. I'm glad you brought it up, Gus, because <laughs> I said I couldn't bring it up myself. That's a, that's a great number, too. So, I'm going to see your 1951 movie starring James Arness with my 1954 movie with James Arness. <laughs> that's right. I'm talking about them. 
the giant ant movie. Oh my god! With James Whitmore. <laughs> and I forgot all of. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, will be extinct within a year. By direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes. I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. But born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous, there is no word to describe them. Man, I love this film. I forgot all about that movie. Yes, it is such a good movie. There's so many classic scenes, especially like when Edward Gwynn and Joan Weldon, where they're out there trying to chase down and you start hearing the sound of the ants. Yes. And they're in the sandstorm and they've got those glasses on. I have to admit, as a child, just hearing that sound, Mm -hmm. it freaked me out. Even to this day, it's such an iconic (laughs) sound, you know? And it's got such a neat feel because it goes from out in the desert into LA to the you know the underneath and and it's 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 really really a cool film you know the ants were and I, I know they look kind of cheesy nowadays <laughs> but they were incredible you know and it's all about of course so many movies from the 50s were about the, right. the dangers of splitting the ass yes, because that's what they were concerned about mm-hmm, exactly you know and with with good reason too I mean that was really the unknown at the time uh, and actually kind of still the unknown now yeah um, interesting thing that I did not know about Leonard Nimoy had a small cameo in this movie as like an Air Force security guard. Really? Yes. I don't remember that. I don't either, but I'm going to have to go back and find <laughs> him in this. But once again, Star Trek connection. Of course. It's it's so funny how there's so many connections with Star Trek so, yeah, throughout science well, it's fiction. such a wide reaching. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And of course, we can't go without saying how awesome James Whitmore was as the police sergeant. Yeah. I mean, he really moved that movie. <laughs> so. Great movie. Great movie. I guess if my math is correct without having to take my shoes off to count down, that means we have come to your number one choice. Yes, my number one. So lay it on me, Gus. What's your number one favorite standalone sci-fi film? 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Sleep. The seed is planted. Sleep. Sleep. Terror grows. Matthew! 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 Wake the others! Elizabeth, wake up! Get you when you sleep! Sit up! Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. I can't find anything in here that looks like a body. My side's nosebleed. It looked right at me. You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human. Now, 
classic fear begins to grow. We're being cornered. In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. They're barricading the street. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Get down. Starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Uh, so, there are well, a lot of versions of yes, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And but, Puppet Master. She can't. Yeah. You have got to count those. But my favorite is the 1978 version with Donald Sutherland. Yes. And Leonard and Nimoy. Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you know who else? <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. And Veronica Cartwright. Be so, still my heart. Veronica yeah, I know. Cartwright. So there are a lot of sci-fi alums mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this movie. Right. And she doesn't get the, the weird scream at the end, but it's Donald Sutherland who does. <laughs> but yeah, she still freaks out and cries. Yes. To me, this was a perfect movie. Yes. It was and very well done. Mostly, they're in a large setting. Mm-hmm. You know, most mm-hmm. of my, the movies I like, you know, they're cut off and whatnot. But they are, in this one... They're in a large setting, but they are still beset by this malicious force, insidious force, Mm -hmm. that they have no idea is coming after them. They don't know how to fight it. It's it's just... And and when it gets you... It gets you. It's when you fall asleep. Right. Something that you have to do. You know, that's why... I think that the movies like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies were so popular because you have to sleep. Right. And in this movie, when you sleep, you wake up, but you're not you anymore. <laughs> Which was another great part where the with the pods. Oh, they did great effects oh, on those. Yeah, because so you got to really give them. Those effects were amazing. The way yes. the pods had all the string oh, yeah. and stuff that came out of it. I, it was creepy when I saw mm-hmm. it. You know. And like I said, this was 1978. Yeah, I have to. They they really were on their game. Yes, visual effects wise. Yes, yes. And, you know, Donald Sutherland, he had that intensity to make this work. Right. You know, yeah. actually, they all did. Brooke Adams as Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. Oh, she did a great job. And like I said, Dana Nimoy, Veronica Cartwright. She mm-hmm. she has that oh vulnerability about her that right. you know, but yet that strength that when she panics, you know, she has good reason to panic. Right. She's she's got this condensed, conserved franticness to yes. her. Yes. Yes. You know, it's like exactly, it's all exactly. It's, yeah. It's just about to boil over. But, you know, she's holding it in. And, man, when it goes, (laughs) it goes, you know. That's a a great one. You know who else is in it? Yes. From the beginning of the movie? Yes. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Star the original. original. Yes. What a great, (laughs) great way to bring him into that. I know. You know, it was a great cameo because he's running down the street. He runs into them. Like, they're here. They're here. And then... The crowd just goes after him, and uh-huh. he died. Yeah. Because well, he gets I, hit by a car, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and they're just watching in a circle, just emotionally watching him. And if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers original movie, he's screaming, they're coming, they're coming. Right. And so now in this sequel, <laughs> they're here, they're here. I'll have to go back and look and compare those two together. There's uh, somebody else from the original film in it. Oh, really? Who? Yes. Um, the director, Don Siegel. Oh, really? He is the taxi driver. Oh, wow. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but both Donald Sutherland and Brooks Adams look really apprehensive. 
The reason for that, not only because the park called for it, but because Don Siegel, who was the cab driver, was driving, he was visually impaired, like almost completely visually impaired. Really? And he didn't have on his glasses, (laughs) and he was driving late at night in the dark (laughs) through the streets. Wow. So there was a reason why they were looking so apprehensive. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would be too. That's crazy. Um, I did not know that. It's just so funny, like... Oh, they they knew how to get that out of them. Uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> but well, no, this was a really, really great movie. That is an um, excellent, excellent choice. Do you remember the banjo player from the park? Vaguely. Okay, well, he's, he's not really important except for, you know, when, when you see the dog. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God, the dog. The thing about that, though, is that the song uh-huh. he's playing was actually done by Jerry Garcia. Really? Yes, he's the one who plays that melody. Oh, wow. Which led, which has led people to believe that he was actually the bum. But he's not, right? No, he's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought would have been pretty cool if that he had That would have been awesome. But yes. no, it's, it's not him. But no, great, great movie. This is actually one of the, I'll say one of the greatest remakes of mm-hmm. a movie. Mm-hmm. They totally... They did better in every aspect than the original. And the original was already a classic. Oh, man. And then, you know, if you've ever seen... Now, I love to read what I would call the retro sci-fi books of the 50s and and the early 60s. And Robert Heinlein wrote Uh, Puppet Masters. Yes. Now, some people will say that Invasion of the Body Snatchers is not based on that. But I find it hard to believe that it's not. But I did love the fact that they took their story, whatever and wherever it came from, Mm -hmm. and added this whole nother twist to it. Right. But if you ever have a chance to read that original book, it's really cool, if nothing else, because of their laser guns <laughs> that they zap people with that cause them to like just incinerate, you know? Mm-hmm. And another thing is, is that this this movie has got so much, like you talked about, yeah, it's set in the city and there's people all around you, mm-hmm. but you have no idea if the person next to you is the person that you knew yesterday. Right. You know, they have a great way of making you doubt yourself and everyone else around you. Yeah. Excellent choice. That's cool. Well, I think, because you've already said Galaxy Quest, which was my number one, that brings us to an end. Oh, really? Wow, that was quick. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's it. So I have to say, this has been a lot of fun. This was a tough list. It was. You know, like I said, originally I had like over two, two dozen movies that I had to whittle down to. Oh, yeah. To my top five and my honorable mention. Uh huh. Well, next time you use that second honorable mention, <laughs> can make it to seven. Though I do like if, what you brought into it because that's that was a great one. If I did have a second honorable mention, uh huh. It would have been the day the Earth stood still. Yeah, because that's a classic. Yeah, bit. not the Keanu Reeves. Though there's nothing wrong with it if you like that one. No, don't get me wrong. I loved Keanu Reeves in Speed mm-hmm. and in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and The Matrix. And, you got to say The Matrix. No, I don't. No one does. Whoa, like he does. <laughs> okay, I know as a science fiction fan. A science fiction geek, I should be all into the Matrix movies. Yeah. I'm not. Oh my gosh, Gus. Really? Okay, the first one, yes. It was cool. It was interesting. I wouldn't even say it was in my top 20. Uh huh. It, 
you know, it's, it's that's, that's, that's just, I can't, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but you're, you know, as we say on this show, you know, <laughs> you can have your opinion no matter how wrong it is. <laughs> no, you know, visually it's, it is appealing, but I, uh. yeah, I got you. Well, I guess this will bring us to an end. Again, a lot of fun, Gus. A lot of it fun. It was. It was. And I want to tell you out there in podcast land to make sure that you look for us on Stitcher and on Podcast and on Apple Podcasts app and even on Spotify. And you can catch us every two weeks, though, yes, I know I haven't been doing it for every two weeks (laughs) or every fortnight, but I'm working Mm. on getting it better. So please subscribe. And if you would, give me a a review. Tell me what you think. Tell me what lists you'd like to see. And we'll work something in and play it. So I'd like to give a shout out to some of my fellow podcasters, Phantom Dark Dave out there doing the podcast from another world on the Terrible Terror podcast. (laughs) And as always, sending my love out to Mad Wolf there at the Fright Club. You guys are awesome. So stick with us, and we're going to find new Fave 5 lists, and maybe we'll find one of your favorites. (laughs) So I want to say thank you again, Gus. I appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. Enjoyed it as always. We have got to figure out what we're going to do next. Okay, a challenge. A challenge. (laughs) So think of something good. And, of course, we're still working on our Twilight Zone upcoming episode with our friend Lo Chang. Yes. Who better bring us some snacks this time? (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to look forward to uh, recording that soon. And I think that's going to be it. I'd like to thank all of you out there in the podcast universe for joining us for this episode of Fave 5 from Fans. We love putting out this show and will continue to release episodes every Friday. You can find us on the AOC Podcast Network at www.aocinc.org under podcasts. Look for Faye Five from Fans. Or you can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podbean. Please rate and review us so that more people can hear about us and help us to grow. We'd also love it if you'd interact with us on Twitter at fave, the number five from fans on our Facebook page and on Instagram, like and share everything. We here at fave five from fans are excited to be part of the slightly irregular podcast network. You can find us at S I P N E T dot U S and on Instagram. The Slightly Irregular Podcast Network is a varied group of podcasters. You'll hear titles like The Terrible Terror Podcast, The Podcast from Another World, Dead Hand Radio, The Paranormal Activity Podcast, Angry Dad Podcast, The Back in Time Podcasts, From the Wastes, and us, Fave 5 from Fans. So remember, folks, it might not be the best. It might not be the most popular. But if it's your favorite, then it's good enough for us. Gus, take us out. All right. Good night, Pod Universe. Good night, Pod Universe. This is <laughs> Hulk Boy from Hollywood saying good night.